This is a podcast by Wellhouse Church, where we talk about what it's like to be a Christian Monday through Saturday, to live as a person of faith in a culture against faith. All right. So let's talk about booze for the last time. For the last time, or at least dedicated conversations dedicated about conversations booze. Yeah. We'll keep talking about booze, and, but but we are wrapping up our series on can Christians drink alcohol? Yep. Um, and so we kind of first started by just introducing the topic. Yeah. Um, and then we talked about uh, church history and the role that they played in. Oh yeah, I forgot about that episode. Yeah, we did. We we talked yeah. about church history and the role that they played in the prohibition mm-hmm. movement. Um, and then we talked about uh, whether or not Jesus drank. Mm-hmm. And um, you guys should all know by now, he did. <laughs> I think it's pretty clear he did. Um, and then by his own admission, by his own admission, by yeah. the way. Um, and then uh, we last week talked about abstinence um, mm-hmm. and the the role that abstinence plays, and it, mm-hmm. it's a totally fine place to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're there, great. Yep. Um, but we did finish that episode with saying that you can't justify that argument by saying that the Bible commands it. Yep. Um, and so here we are at the end of the series Mm -hmm. and that's the recap. Yeah. And so we want to do a final episode, just kind of wrapping up all of our thoughts and kind of we we kind of finished the last episode de- detailing where Wellhouse was and why we feel the way we feel but yeah i kind of wanted to just do a like hey let's let's bring all of this back together let's yep. paint one picture that across five episodes kind of thing and so here's where we are i absolutely do think that this is a valuable conversation because well, so many people have the question. Well, not just that, that is a huge piece of it. But the reason they have that question is because alcohol is rampant in culture. Yeah. Mm. Um, I mean, how many times do you watch commercials or see advertisements and it's beer companies or tequila or Jack Daniels or, you know, whatever. I mean, yeah. alcohol's everywhere. It, I mean, alcohol advertisement is as bad today as women in bikinis were in the nineties. It was everywhere. I mean, think about it. Back in the day, Sports Illustrated used to put women in bikinis on the cover of their magazine. It's true. That's not a sport. <laughs> I'm not. I'm I mean, not, they're they're sporting a bikini. So. Yeah, yeah, but but it's not a sport. It's not a sport. No. I mean, and it it like it's not even that it's a woman, right? No, I mean, it's not because they just, they do like Serena Williams was on the cover of that. Megan Rapinoe was on the cover of that. Like there were a lot of women athletes on the cover of Sports Illustrated, and that's fine. I love that. Sure, but like you modeling a bikini, hot lady, you're you're that's not a sport. No, no, I guess that's fair. You, they were doing it to get people to pick up the magazine. You know, uh, yeah, no, it's it's the whole sex sells thing. But it is. No, I guess you're right. Like, I guess alcohol advertisements is 
as prominent as you yeah. know. I, I that's at the time of Sex in the City and yeah. like all of it. Just I will go ahead and say though, um, I don't think that the sex selling part has changed much. Uh that's fair. Um, that's fair. It has changed a little, but it, yeah. I don't think it's changed much. Yeah, that's fair. That's absolutely fair. Um, but yes, tons of advertisements about, about alcohol. alcohol. And that's because alcohol is rampant in our culture. And here's, here's the problem or one of the problems I think the church has made is the church historically has said, well, let me, let me backtrack. Let me rephrase what I, what I was saying in the last 200 years, the American church mm. Yeah. has said we need to be radically different than culture. Yeah. And so we're not even going to engage in the conversations that culture is having. You know, that that's super funny. Um, and I don't, I don't remember if I said this. Or, I don't think I did, which blows my mind that I didn't tell this story. When we were living overseas, when I was in high school, we got plugged in with this church and we took, we, we became good friends with the pastor and his wife. Um, Frank. Yeah. Uh, Frank. Good. Good. He's, he's the homie. Um, but uh, I didn't live in Europe. By no, the way. he's the homie, but yeah, I didn't live uh, in super Europe. cool guy. Frank. And his wife is amazing. Hadassah is phenomenal. But, um, no, the, the point of me telling the story is that the first time we went out to dinner with them, they asked us. So, because you guys are American and you're Christian, we have to ask this question because we never know. Do you drink? Do you drink? Yeah. yeah. Um, and we were like, yes, we do. And it's fine. Like, yeah. whatever. Um, and we understand why you have yeah. to ask that question. Um, but it, it, and it's super funny because uh, while they were not affiliated with an actual denomination, they were more charismatic. Yeah, um, and which so, is which is birthed out of the holiness movement, which is like, ooh, no, no, no alcohol. alcohol. Yeah, yeah. Um, they w- didn't call themselves charismatic because, well, yeah, but 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 they you could were, tell from their expression. Their expression was more charismatic, and so Americans that would go over there would cling that that were from the charismatic expressions would cling to them. Yeah. Um, because they felt more comfortable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it so felt they, more familiar. They got a lot of people from the charismatic expressions. Which don't drink. That, that, which don't drink. And so they had to ask that question whenever they met yeah. a new American at church. Um, so, yes, it's solely a question here in the States. Yeah, it's, a, it's an American question. And it's all because somewhere along the way, and my modern church history, my contemporary and modern church history, and I say modern in light of modernity and American modernity, I don't know where or why it happened, mm. but somehow we be- we entered an island all by ourselves where the American church said, hey, whatever is going, or maybe maybe not even the American church, but American evangelicalism. Mm. said we're gonna we're gonna enter this island where we're gonna basically ignore what culture is saying and we're gonna do our own thing so we're not gonna engage with culture and anything culture is promoting we're just gonna be anti-culture well uh, and so like i would would say that 
um, it was mainline Protestantism in the early stages, and then it no. slowly became no, because Lutheranism and Presbyterians never stopped drinking. Oh, I guess that's fair. It's not mainline denomination. It's, it's evangelical. No, I guess you're right. It would have to be just specifically evangelical. Yeah, it's evangelicals. And I just think the whole thing is is really interesting because like that's not a question anywhere else in the world. No. Well, there and, and you're right. Like we have done this in the American church with so many different things. Like um overseas, and this is not a, a question about this specific topic but it's just kind of assumed that you believe in evolution oh yeah everywhere else in the world yeah everywhere else in the world like even in the church like it's yeah, just yeah. assumed that you believe in evolution arguably um, the two greatest new testament scholars of all time in both tom wright who's a european scholar and john barclay who's a european scholar both largely presuppose evolution yeah um, it, it's not even a conversation they're having. No. And, and so we've done that with evolution and we've done it with alcohol. Um, I'm sure there's some other things that we've done that with, but like, yeah, well, um, yeah there's a ton of things we've done that with. And uh, the, I mean, and even, even the conversation about women is largely an American conversation now. And I wonder um, how much of that was birthed out of the first um, great awakening. Yeah, I don't know. Tom Wright uses this example in T. Wright for anybody that's looking yeah. um, is his other name. N.T. Wright is his more academic name. Tom Wright is his more popular level name that he writes under. But uh, European New Testament scholar, largely considered one of the greatest um, across denominational lines. Like when he talks about women, it's not even a question. It's yeah. like, guys, this was settled in the gospels. <laughs> he, and he says that he's like, look, how can you, how can you say this? No matter what Paul or anybody else says, the women are the first preachers. They're the first proclaimers, preachers of the resurrection. Oh yeah. 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 And he's like, that settled it for me. Yeah. Like mm. if they can go tell, mm. If they can be the first proclaimers of the resurrection, surely they can preach. Yeah. I and mean, that's the most important thing to our faith, apparently, right? So even Paul says that. Yeah. And and since the women were the first, yeah. <laughs> that That's that's Tom's argument. Hmm. I've never read that, but yeah, no, that's a yeah, good Yeah. I mean, that's, that's like his entire argument. And so, so much of this is all about American evangelicalism being against culture and. I remember being in seminary with a friend of mine. Uh, his name's Doug Robinson. He pastors um, um, Sugar Grove Church in Houston. Um, very, very good church. Love what Doug does over there. But um, he and I, I remember sitting down with him. We were, I think we were at Flying Saucer. We were just having a beer. Uh, maybe after class, maybe during class, I don't know. Um, <laughs> and we, we began to have this conversation that American evangelicalism had turned into a narrative about all the things we were against rather than the things we were for mm -hmm. because it seemed like the entire movement was a reaction against culture. 
So we were against alcoholism. We were against abortion. We were against drugs. We were against all these things. And that's how people knew us. But nobody knew us as we're for redemption. We're mm. for restoration. We're for, you know, pro-life. We're and genuine pro-life. Not, not just, not just anti-abortion. anti-abortion. Nobody knew us for what we were for. Everybody knew us for what we were against. Yeah. Because our movement had largely become something that was reacting against culture more than being dedicated to the gospel. I want to be careful in saying this um, because I don't want this to sound overgeneralized, but at this moment, I'm wondering how much that has bled into capital C church outside of just evangelicalism probably more than we want to give credit to um but you also have to remember that through the rise of the 1900s and the turn of the century the baptist sbc was the largest denomination in the world Mm. so anything going on in baptist life was trickling into every element of religion or christianity or denominational life in general the, the reason except the orthodox the orthodox never cared what anybody was doing except themselves <laughs> which i applaud them for. yeah that's i applaud awesome. them for doing that yeah. yeah it's just we were talking about this in in light of evangelicalism and yeah we have a big problem there and we carry a lot of the weight of that um and whenever i'm talking about this i don't mean it as a pejorative i'm just i'm talking about this as something that i've observed mm-hmm. Um, and could potentially be a problem. Um, but it's just outside of evangelicalism as well. Um, but the Catholic church that I was briefly affiliated with, um, Clayton says that modestly, he was there for almost two years. I mean, Clayton knows Catholic life pretty well. Yeah. Um, they used to, um, hold rosaries. Like they would go and pray the rosary mm-hmm. um, out in front of Planned Parenthood like once a month. Yeah. If that's not a statement of what we're against instead of what we're for, I don't know what is. Well, that's the deal. Um, and that's that's a whole nother conversation about how the church has gotten there and how to counteract that and sure, all those things. Sure, sure, sure. I mean, I, I embody that to my core. Rarely does Wellhouse talk about the things that we're against. I talk about the things that I'm personally against quite often. Sure. But we can't speak for every member of our church and nope. we refuse to. Right. Well, and that's the whole deal is largely the church has, especially in evangelicalism, the desire of evangelicalism has do has been to indoctrinate yeah. people and create little mini-me's. And Wellhouse doesn't want to be that. Wellhouse wants to be a free expression. And so when we come to conversations on this podcast about the intersection of faith and culture, we say it all the time, but everybody's just reading the Bible. Yep. And no matter where you come from or how much you want it to be true, it's just not true that the Bible's clear on all these issues. Um, and alcoholism is one. I mean, I can point you to a number of texts that say, don't be a drunkard, but I can also point you a number of texts that seem to be affirming the liberty to drink. I mean, Paul even tells Timothy to drink a little wine because it's good for his stomach. Um, 
we, we have to specify the author of Timothy. <laughs> well, not <laughs> on this letters. podcast, we don't, but... I mean, we, we, we do need to say that, because yeah. we've said that on other podcasts. We have. We need but, some continuity there. But... I think largely it's it's a conversation that needs to be had. And if Wellhouse is going to be a place that extends diversity to people, then it, it needs to be a place that understands the ins and outs of these conversations. Yeah. And so, you know, we gave you a little bit about where we were at the end of last episode, but I want to kind of detail it out a little bit more. You know, I think for me... I do think Jesus drank. Sure. I don't think the Bible is telling us that abstinence is the way or the only way. Um, I do think the Bible is clear that everything in moderation. Um, but I also think that for me, in the people that Wellhouse is trying to reach... we need to be identifiably different from because that's the deal. I don't, I don't know how to say this without it sounding. Um, without it sounding more than what I mean it to sound. Yeah. So but, take what he's about to say with the words that he's saying. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, you know, Martin Luther never wanted to leave the Catholic Church. He wanted to reform the Catholic Church within. Yep. And here's where I don't want you to take my comparison. I'm not comparing myself to Martin Luther. Um, I don't think that much of myself. But I didn't I didn't ever want to leave Baptist life. I wanted to reform Baptist life from within. And this is one of this is one of my big complaints within Baptist life is we've because of our anti-culture position, we've hurt a lot of people because they wouldn't conform to what we were asking. The Baptists largely pursued uniformity over unity. And if you didn't look like us, talk like us, act like us, and sound like us, you weren't us. Well, and I would like to say that in defense of Baptist life, that that's written nowhere. That's just the culture. Um, yes. I'm not sure how that's a defense of Baptist life. No, no, no. Yes, you are correct it, in what you're saying. It was never put in documentation that you have to believe this and this and act like this and do this. So right? the belief thing was put there. But, sure, the belief thing. But, but the like, act and dress and don't drink and... None of that was ever yeah. documented. The whole deal about don't don't choose, don't smoke, don't drink, don't dance. No, yeah. Well, what was it? Don't don't drink, don't smoke, don't chew, and don't, don't run with girls, girls who, who do. do. Yeah. yeah, that's not written anywhere. No, it's not. It's so in defense of Baptist life that was never documented. Yeah, this is not in defense of. It was just the people in Baptist life that created that culture. Yes, that is that's a fair kind of caveat there. Um, and so for us at Wellhouse, my goal is to still be a part of the tradition that birthed me. I'm not sure. I'm not trying to run away from Baptist life. I, I'm not who I am without it, mm. Mm. but 
but I also understand that it needs some reformation. It's, it's got some problems and possibly some of those problems came from good intentions. I'm also not convinced that all of them came from good intentions. Yeah. Uh, not going to go fair. into that, but that's a whole nother episode. For me, I'm not trying to run away from Baptist life. I'm not trying to run away from evangelicalism. I don't call myself an evangelical in very many circles anymore because I think the word's been tainted because of Trump. Um, and I'm not saying anything political other than if being an evangelical is defined by what Donald Trump lived, I don't want to be that. Mm. Um, that's all I'm going to say. I'm not getting political, but so I don't call myself an evangelical, but I'm not trying to run away from Baptist life. I'm, I'm, I am who I am because of Baptist life. I can't just, I can't just become something else. And so for me, I want to show everyone that there's a way to be identifiably Baptist while also being radically different than the Baptist that hurt millions of people in America. Yeah. Um, Well, and I, I think that that's supported in scripture. Yeah. One specific, I know we don't build theologies off one specific verse, but I feel like this is kind of continuous throughout the New Testament, but just in the way Paul speaks and or the way Paul writes. But one specific place is we should be all things to all people. Yeah, and I think that's a really good text. I mean, that's 1 Corinthians 9. Paul's very clear there. He He is saying that he should be all things to all people. Um, and interestingly enough, he actually lives that out. Mm-hmm. He goes to battle with Peter in multiple places that Gentiles do not need to be circumcised. Like, it's not a requirement. It's not a thing. Stop doing that. And the dietary requirements, like, yeah. essentially, he just says, disregard. <laughs> but then, there's this really cool story in Acts chapter 16, where Paul first meets Timothy. And if you remember Timothy's backstory, Timothy's got um, a Greek father, but a Hebrew mother. Mm. And because his mother is Hebrew, he was never circumcised. But yet, the mother is in the home, and so she teaches him Jewish rituals. She teaches him how to be a Jew. And so when Paul picks him up, he's a grown man. And Paul has him circumcised as a grown man because they're going to the Jews. Hmm. Paul knows that it's not a requirement, but Paul's trying to be all things to all people. And so for us at Wellhouse, I just think... We, there are enough churches that are abstaining from alcohol by and large that are very good churches that are doing very good things that I could point people to if they were looking for that expression. And that's what I tell people all the time. I had to tell one of my best friends that Wellhouse was not the place for them because they were looking something for something that was against our culture. And that's not a bad thing. There are churches that meet certain needs and there are other churches that meet other needs. And if you're looking for a place that wants to be a traditional Baptist expression that abstains from alcohol and is against culture, that is fine. I can point you to those. Send me an email and I will give you a list 
of pastor friends that will take care of you and love to have you in their congregation. That's just not what we're doing here. We're being something different. We're reaching different people. And that's the point that I want I want you to realize is in Baptist life specifically, I can't on this issue, I can't speak to other movements within evangelicalism. But in Baptist life specifically, if you were a part of a Baptist congregation and you got hurt, either through judgment, hypocrisy, you know, whatever it was, and you left Baptist life, largely no one pursued you anymore. Mm. You're, the judgment that kicked you out of the church is the one that kept you there because the self-righteousness in so many people, they never pursued you because the thought was we're keeping the church consecrated. It's set apart. It's something different. And yeah. so unless you're going to conform to what we're asking, you're not welcome here. I can't tell you how many times, and I'm so, I feel so much regret for this. I can't tell you how many times I've basically said that exact same thing. Yeah. Um, just throughout life, growing up in, in Baptist Growing up life. in fundamentalist Baptist life, yeah. Um, again, not a reflection on our yeah. raising, just... No. It's just, it's, it was the culture, right? I, I'm not who um, I am without that culture. I don't re- regret anything about growing up in that culture. I wish we would have done some things different, but sure. it's who I am. Like, I can't, I can't tell my story without it. The thing that I regret is I wonder how many people I pushed away. Yeah. So, because I embraced that kind of culture. Yeah. I did, I did too. And I'm there. And, and I say all that to say, those people are who Wellhouse exists for. Yeah. It's those people, the people that nobody else is pursuing because they were hurt by the church. And I, I remember when I was, when I was building Wellhouse and I was trying to go out and raise money and cast vision and all this stuff, they were like, somebody said, if you could tell me your elevator pitch for your church, what would it be? And I was like, I'm building a church for people who don't want church. And I remember a, a very wealthy man goes, well, that doesn't sound like a good business plan. <laughs> I said, no, but it sounds like a good Jesus plan. <laughs> and it's, it's proving to be fruitful. I mean, we're reaching people all over the world. And it's because, honestly, I believe this, it's because our leadership at Wellhouse took a, took a leap of faith to say, hey, we're going to do something different because we see a need and, and we need to reach a people that nobody else is reaching and God's God's been faithful for restoration. Well, more than that, God put this on our hearts. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Wellhouse wasn't something that was just born overnight. It started with conversations that me and Cullen had, I don't know, what, three, four years ago now? Oh, no. Wellhouse started almost... Wellhouse began its formation almost 10 years ago. I had my first conversation about planting a church for this category of people with Ben Blackwell in 2014. Mm. Well, me and Cullen started having conversations yeah. about this about four years ago. Yeah. Um, and so this wasn't something that happened overnight. No. This culture was not built on a whim. No, it wasn't something that we just pulled out of a hat. It was something that had been on our hearts for years. And so while that's a little bit of a detour, all of that to say... That's why we drink alcohol. 
Yeah. Is because number one, first and foremost, we don't feel convicted about it. No. Number two, we enjoy it. And number three, it's a great way to show people that we're not the thing that hurt them, that we still believe in Jesus, that we follow Jesus, that we've given our life over to participating in God and the work of God, but that we're not the people that hurt them. We don't do the things that hurt them. We're not, we're by our very nature of sitting down and drinking a beer. We're something different. Well, people are less likely to think we're going to judge them. And if there were one thing I'd want you to know about Wellhouse, it's that our values are not just something we write on the wall. Our values are something we live and embody. And when we say we Wellhouse is a place where you can be real, that's what we mean. Yeah. That who you are is welcome here. There's nothing about you that's not welcome here. Whoever you are, wherever you come from, whatever your baggage is, will help you carry it. And that we want you to be relational is because we want to know you, the person. We care about you, the person, not as a number, but as a human being loved by God and made in the image of God. And that it's through that environment of you being your true, authentic self and the ability, capacity to be real and be in relationship with people who love you as a person, not a number, that you can find restoration. Restoration.